let us see what God has for us. We're going to read the entirety of Psalm chapter 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the earth of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who, who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. So this psalm is what I like to call or think of as a call to worship a la carte. So every Sunday morning when you come into this room, the first thing I hope, the first thing that you hear that's part of our liturgy is look and see what God has done. Look and see what God has done, why we are singing, why we're worshiping. And we want that, the truth of what God has done, not based on our feelings or what mood we're in on any given Sunday morning as it is early in the morning to be singing together, but look and see what God has done, and that is the fuel. That's the reason for why we sing. And so this psalm I want to treat as a huge call to worship. Psalms like this are our primary example of a worship song. And, and, and we're going to dissect the anatomy of a worship song and, and ask questions like, why and how is this praise? Why are, are, are these different sections, these different stanzas and, and verses and things he draws attention to, why is this and how is this praise? Now, Andy introduced me as the worship leader, and that is the title that 
that um, is, is given in most churches for the person who's going to stand up and, and lead the singing together, although I don't know if that is a very, uh, a very theologically sound title. It's not that important, so, so it's not something I'm going to go split hairs over necessarily, but theologically understanding the difference between worship and praise I think is important as, as both words are used in, in God's word. And so, so what we're going to look at um, is praise today. And so where worship, as we can see in John chapter 4, I think when Pastor Jonathan comes back and, and, begin, and picks back up where he left off in, preaching through the book of John, I think he's going to start right with uh, chapter 4. So this will be exciting to, to see uh, how much I'm off on this or what he actually preaches about differently. But in, in, in John chapter 4, we see Jesus' encounter uh, with a sinful woman, a Samaritan woman who is, uh, is looking to find her, her hope and, and purpose and satisfaction and all other things, and he reaches in and he, uh, he addresses her where she is, and he reveals to her and to everyone her true purpose, what God designed for her, why God created her, the pur- purpose being a true worshiper who worships in spirit and truth. So her, or worship is at the identity level. It's who we are created for, what we are created to do, but, but even more than just what we do outwardly, maybe with song, it is like an identity level. So everything that we do is to be an act of worship. Now, contrasting that praise, as we see in this psalm, he's talking about music. He's talking about loud shouts and singing. And so, so praise is like an exaltation or a... Um, expression is going to be like maybe with vocally or maybe hitting the drum is going to be a compliment or ascribing characteristics out loud to God. So that's what we're going to be looking at, uh, particularly in this psalm, the way I see it is broken up into four sections, four stages of praise, and maybe stages is, is the word I'm going to go for. Uh, four maybe types of praise, or maybe four reasons to praise. The reason why I said four stages of praise is because I think they are sequential. They crescendo. They build off of each other. And so the first one that we're going to look at, we're going to look at two today, and then the second two next week. First one is praise is to obey a command. The second one, praise while standing in awe. The third one is praise as a thankful response. And the fourth one, as we see in Psalm 33, is praise as a completion of joy. So let's look first at uh, the first three verses as praise to obey a command. Now, does that word irk your gherkin, as my brother likes to say? I don't know what that means. I think it means make you angry, irk your gherkin. That's That's not in my notes. Let's stick to the notes, Joe. Don't say stuff like that. Does a praise like rub you the wrong way? Or, or a, I'm sorry, does command rub you the wrong way? How can praise be a command? It's supposed to be something that's like full of emotion and, and get you excited, and it's a response, and it's something you choose to do. It's not something you're commanded to do. And if you're like me, you, are, uh, you don't like authority. I have an, like, an issue with authority figures. I like being disobedient more than I like being obedient naturally. And so if a random authority figure walked in the room and was like, Joe, stand over there, 
I'd be like, I'll, I'll stand over there when I'm, when I'm getting ready to stand over there. I'll, I'll let you know when I want to stand over there. You know, I'll stand over here. I'm not going to stand over there. He told me to stand over So praise is a command. How can it be a command? He starts it right off from the bat. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. He doesn't say, when you're ready, shout for joy. Praise. He doesn't say, if you feel like it. He says, shout for joy in the Lord. It's a command. It's our job. It's our purpose and it's our calling. And if that does rub you the wrong way, let it. Let it rub you the wrong way at first as we begin to see why and how it is a command. But he identifies who it is a command for. What does he say there? He says, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous, or the upright. Does this mean that praising is for the righteous only? And if you were, grew up in the church and you were a good kid in Sunday school, then you know the answer to this one, right? And you hear this, and you're like, the righteous, I know the answer to this one. It's Jesus. He's the only one that's right, right? He's the only righteous one. And if so, good for you. You're listening. So Jesus is the only perfect person who did not sin, and therefore is the only one who should have a right standing before God, right? But, Ephesians 2, 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, we can be called the righteous, not because of what we've done, so that we can boast, so we can't boast. Like Ephesians says, but righteousness, righteous is a name that we can own now by the blood of Jesus. So this psalm command is for us. So this is, if this is true for you, you are who David is talking about. The phrase befits the upright. It's the fulfillment of your purpose. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, and I promise I'm only going to quote Charles Spurgeon twice today. He has a uh, reflection on the Psalms, the treasury of David. It's wonderful. It's free on the internet if you want it. Um, Old English, if you like Old English. He says, to rejoice in the temporal comforts is dangerous. To rejoice in self is foolish. To rejoice in sin is fatal. But to rejoice in God is heavenly. It's our purpose. It's what we were purposed to do, the righteous. Now, maybe for some of you, who would call yourselves a Christian, maybe for some of you, thinking of yourself as righteous, you haven't quite, like, you don't like that. It doesn't seem right. So if that's the case, I want to challenge you with something. In the same way that hopefully you were taught in the gospel of Jesus that because you were saved from a great depth, you have to understand that great depth to to believe in the greatness of, of God and 
and the depth from which he has saved you. And so you think of yourself as, as one theologian called it, a worm. Uh, You're a worm, and, and, and that is the distance from which, the depth from which God has saved you. And that's, and that's the treasure that you, you hold on to. You remember before your baptism, you remember the sinner that was dead in, his tres- in, in your trespasses, but then remember your baptism was made alive together with Christ, right? So once you've believed and own, owned being a worm, what you were saved from, begin to see and believe and own being the righteous, what you were saved for. Otherwise, you, in the same way, if you don't believe the, the lowness from which you were saved, you minimize the power of God's grace. In the same way, if you don't re- believe in the righteousness that you were saved to and for, you also minimize the power of God's grace. So maybe this isn't true for you. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian today. And if you're here, I'm so glad you're here. Um, I want to invite you in to begin to believe this. And, and don't don't let the, the voice of the Holy Spirit, what God might be doing in you, stirring up some questions and some discomfort of, of hearing these things that seem just maybe wild or, or crazy, but, but listen to those. Begin to think that maybe God is doing something in you this morning. Also, I want to say, if you are... I uh, wouldn't necessarily call yourself the righteous or, or a Christian this morning. I want to invite you to believe something new that's profound and, and huge for us. This is something that will take place despite your willingness to participate in it. What, am I, what do I mean by that? This goes for Christians and non-believers alike. So this is something that's going to take place despite your willingness to participate in it. And we just sang about it a, a couple times, Right? Uh, all creatures of our God and King, then who shall fall and bend a knee? All creatures, right? Praising God applies to everyone in a certain way. This is something that's going to happen whether you like it or not in, in a way of speaking. So if you look at, if you read the Bible cover to cover, you look at biblical theology, what you'll find is that the story of redemption, the story of God addressing people, the result, God's work, is of power and redemption and many other attributes we would describe to God. And our work, what you see people do as a response is praise. You can look at at the end of of maybe your favorite Bible story like Daniel in the lion's den. Afterwards, the king commands everyone to praise the God of of Daniel. And and then you can fast forward to Revelation. What what we were designed for is shown in in the... um, in the picture of what is to come when God has finished the work that he's begun in redeeming his people on earth. And we see in Revelation chapter 5, verse 13, he says, And I heard every, cre- every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So we see that this is something that will take place despite our willingness to participate. My favorite story that captures this in such a humbling way, such a sobering way, you can find in Luke chapter 19, 35 through 40. I don't have it on the screen for you this morning, but you can turn there, follow with me, or, or listen. Luke 19, 35 through 40 
this is uh, the context here is Jesus has um, been in his ministry for the bulk of the time, the three years, and is nearing the point where he's starting to tell his disciples, this is, it's, this is going down, this is happening, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die, but I'm going to be uh, raised back to life, and, and all of that is coming to fruition. He has a lot of followers and a lot of enemies at this point. And then something cool happens. Some of his disciples bring a, a donkey to him. It says they, they brought it, a donkey, to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. They were on their way into the city. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down, to the, Mount, down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd, those would have been the religious teachers at the time, said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They were probably embarrassed for them or thought it was wrong what they were doing. And Jesus answered, and, and this is where we see it. I tell you, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. What? What? The stones would cry out. If these people were silent, creation praises the creator. God created people to praise him. And that's what's going to happen whether you like it or not, whether you participate or not. If you're quiet, the stones are going to cry out. On a Sunday morning, if you don't sing, the chairs are going to start to sing. That's <laughs> ridiculous, right? But that's what Jesus says. He didn't say that about the chairs. He said it about stones. It's just as crazy. But, and so that actually, that should, that should be humbling, right? Um, for for non-believers, that's like, that's crazy. And I invite you to, to start to to see, well, may, this is something that God's created you for. Y your eternal purpose maybe is found in this. Invite you in to see that. But if you're a Christian, that should be humbling. That should be like, man, that stone is fulfilling its purpose better than you. That stone knows its business, why it was created, and he's doing a better job. He's accomplishing more in his purpose than you. That should be humbling. Be embarrassed. But it was meant for the righteous, right? Praise befits the upright. Last Charles Spurgeon quote of the morning. This is peculiarly your duty. Your obligations are greater and your spiritual nature more adapted to the work. Be ye then, he's old, I told you, be ye then first in the glad service. Even the righteous are not always glad and have need to be stirred up to enjoy their privileges. Side note for my, my worship leaders, praise leaders in the room, and other people, if you find yourself more easily adapted to this work of praising, um, think of yourself, best analogy I've ever heard, as a stirrer. Even, even the righteous are not always glad, and they have need to be stirred up to enjoy their privileges. Think of yourself as a big stirrer, right? This whole room is a big bucket of, I don't know, think of like a, 
like really, uh, really good juice or, or maybe paint or some mixture of stuff that as it sits on the shelf for a really long time, right, the particles go to the bottom, the more opaque, saturated, uh, the uh, concentrate maybe sinks to the bottom and, and the oil or the water, the clearish part goes to the top and people just come in and just like find their seat, sit down. Or maybe you just come in and you're like, I don't want to talk to anybody, don't want to talk to anybody, don't want to do anything this morning, I don't feel like it. And we are the stirrers that get the molecules moving. If you're a worship leader, get the molecules moving. If you love to praise God, get the molecules moving in the room. Stir up the righteous in the room in the glad service of praising because it's our privilege to be enjoyed. Let's go on. That was verse 1. We got a long ways to go. All right. Verse 2, he says, Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. So he talks about instruments. It's getting fun now. We're not just singing. He's got instruments. It gives you the sense of like, let's include this thing. Let's make this big. Let's make this good, right? Instruments are skills that are given to people. Like the ability to play it. Actually, I could give you a guitar. It doesn't mean you have the skill to play it. But instruments and the skill to play them is something that God gives to people. They're gifts that God gives to people. So there's something to be enjoyed. That's the first thing we can see from this. Right? Enjoy the gift that God gives you. Enjoy it. And the second thing we see here is that it's for him. It's for God. Enjoy it for him. Don't hoard it and keep it to yourself. Enjoy it for him. Now, David points out two things in, in verses 2 and 3 that I want to focus on. First thing he does, he calls out the musicians, right? Praise uh, with the lyre. Give thanks to God with the lyre, excuse me. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. He calls out the musicians in the room, right? He calls out the musically inclined people in the room. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, he's the worship leader. He's using this as an opportunity to get people in the room to participate more in the praise in this church. Absolutely. That's my job. So if you're a musician in the room, if you like singing and you, you're not bad, if you like singing, you can hit the notes. If you can play an instrument and you're not being called into this, consider this the calling. This is your invitation to join. And maybe you're thinking, oh, we have enough people on the stage. This stage is full. We've got the piano and we've got the guitars and the bass. And but I want to I want to pitch something to you as, as quickly as I, I can. And that's because of our sense we're going to have a membership class this uh, afternoon. So you, if you come, you'll hear more about this. But because we believe in a biblical picture of marriage, uh, excuse me. I just got married recently. I'm all in my brain. If we believe in a, in a biblical picture of membership, thank you. Let it. If we believe in a biblical picture of membership as, as a leader of, of teams and of volunteers and people who serve the church, it is, it is my um, burden to, to see people who are regularly serving and investing into the life of the church and my desire 
for everyone in the church to be regularly participating in the rhythms of worship, sitting under teaching, and enjoying community together so that they're not always serving others, so that they can come and be served the majority of the time. I like to think of it as three-fourths of the time. So you can come and you can serve once a month. So the chairs that you're sitting in and, and the, the music that was being played and the, the coffee and water out there, the people who are investing in the lives of your kids right now, all of this you're being served, and that is a good thing. That is what we want to be happening in the body of Christ. But it takes those to serve them. So do the math with me. This is my burden as the worship leader and just something that's like starting to become embarrassing. Who, who's someone, if you've been here maybe for a long time, that you've seen serve maybe every week or maybe more than three or uh, one-fourth of the time? And we got a lot of instruments up here, but we also have a lot of instruments up here that are being played by the same people every single week. So if you think they don't need another bass player, they already have a really good bass player, that's true, we do. We need four really good bass players. So if you think, I can learn the bass, I can play the bass, talk to Jazz. He's the man, he'll teach you. Jazz didn't know how to play the bass before. Our pastor taught him a few years ago because we needed a bass player. We need another, we, we need three more bass players. Be, uh, be nudged. The second thing that David shows us in these two verses is he raises the bar. So if you're a musically inclined person in here, or maybe somebody who's nervous about this, and I just invited the entire congregation to possibly come up on the stage and, uh, and try their best at an instrument, you're like, ooh, this could be bad. David raises the bar. He says, skillfully, oh, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I was thinking of, ooh. Skillfully, he says, what does this mean? Don't be a weak steward of what God has given you. The king made you. He gave you that gift. So the way that you use that reflects the king. You are a steward of the gift, and God's power is evident in the way that you use that, which can, can be your willingness to use that, but also uh, your, your skill, how you've honed your craft. And so th this is something that... I. Uh, we talk about it on a regular basis, and we do on a regular basis with the worship team that I want to commission to the rest of you with your skill. This doesn't only apply to musicians, but especially in this text, it does. Hone your craft. Be really good at what you do and do it unto the Lord. Don't get by with being okay or, or not practicing because I, I think I can do it. Hone your craft. And let it reflect the gift giver. Why are you so good at that? I wish I could be. How how'd you? Well, God gave me that gift. And if someone compliments you, my wife taught me this. This is awesome. If someone compliments you, accept it. Say, say thank you. It's a compliment to God. It's not a compliment to you. It's like, you're beautiful. You are so good at that. And let people be pointed to God through what you do because... It was him who gave it to you. Your stewardship of that gift reflects the gift giver. Be brave. Be courageous. Use it to glorify the gift giver. All right. He said it. He said it, so we got to look at it with loud shouts. He starts it out, shout for joy in the Lord. With loud shouts that 
book ends, verses 1 through 3. We've got to look at it. What makes you shout for joy? What makes you, yes! Woo! What gets you excited? What makes you shout for joy, jump for joy? I did that. I, I had to take one for the team. That was really embarrassing, but I'm like, now you know what I'm talking about. What gets you excited? For, uh, for my dad, I watched this happen. I'm going to use him in a sermon illustration mostly because uh, he's a pastor, and as a kid growing up, I was the product of so many sermon illustrations, so this one's for you, pops. Um, my, my older sister, she's a year and a half older than me, she, was, she ran track and cross country, and uh, she got into it just in high school. My dad didn't know a thing about that. He started driving her to practices and meets and stuff, and before you knew it, it didn't take long, he was that guy. He was the cross-country dad, and maybe you know what I'm talking about. You've probably seen it before. So in cross-country, is maybe the most boring sport to watch unless you really, like, have a long attention span. And it takes place usually on a golf course or something like a golf course, or in a park maybe. And if, you, if you're looking at the map, uh, they, they might go in something like an awkward circle, maybe the shape of a lake or something. And so if you're a spectator or a coach or a teammate, you would position yourself somewhere in the middle and you would pinpoint very strategically, mind you, where you might go and cheer that person on. So my dad, <laughs> before too long, became that guy who's got running shoes on, because I'll tell you what, Spectators run more in that sport than the runners do. <laughs> and hat and the really big uh, stopwatch hangs around his neck. And then clipboard and, and paper and, and pencil. And he's standing in the middle. And he's, he's like, okay, she's got this person over here. And, this and he runs to the point. He's like, go, go, go. You got 30 more seconds. You got 30 more seconds. And then don't let that girl pass you. You know she's fa you're faster than her. You don't have to. And then, He's just like so excited. I'm like, what is this guy? He doesn't care about cross country. He cares about his daughter. What makes you shout for joy? What, what gets you jacked? What's that thing? Maybe it's a football game. Maybe that's the thing. You're like, come on! Shouting for joy. Why is it, perhaps, if this is true for you, why, why doesn't the greatness of God get you to shout for joy? Why doesn't um, what God has done for you, maybe if you believe in the story of redemption and how you're a part of that and God has saved you, why is that something that maybe you don't get excited about so much so that you shout for joy? Hopefully, um, as we read on, uh, you will find reasons. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let that question linger. I don't really have an answer. Like, this is, this is the reason why not. This is the solution to that. Boom, go in peace. No, that's the, that's a, that's a work in your heart. And I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit maybe convict you. Why, why is that something that doesn't get you excited? And then, as we keep reading in Psalm chapter 33, I'm gonna give you 101 reasons to get excited. But we're not there yet. Thinking of shouting for joy. I've got a side note for, for the men in the room, for the guys, for the dudes. It's not a, a secret for a worship leader. 
to consider the strong possibility that, or the strong evidence that um, any given congregation, uh, if, if our job, if my job is to get our church participating in the corporate declaration of the contents of the gospel, which that's my job, that's our job as a worship team, then I'm going to look, I'm going to aim for participation is one of the big goals, get everybody to participate. So I see, like, who, where's the biggest need? Where's the biggest strength? And if you pull almost any congregation, I guarantee you that some of the biggest need is for the men in the church to step up and praise God. I'm sorry, that's uncomfortable, but I'm going to let you sit in that uncomfortable thinking for a minute. So if you go to any given church, I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe women enjoy their voices more, maybe enjoy singing more. Maybe it's an emotional connection, and they're more easily drawn to that, spurred on by that. Maybe it takes more stirring to get the guys in the room to participate in the rhythms of worship. Maybe you don't think it's manly enough. Is that a thing? Is that a thing for you? You don't think it's manly enough? Not fit for men? Well, let's put this to death right now because I got something for you. <laughs> David, let's look at the guy who made the song. He played the harp, right? What makes you think of a harp? <laughs> a little cherub in the, in the clouds, a little naked baby playing the harp. David, he killed a lion with his bare hands. He also killed a bear with his bare hands when he was a boy. What did you do when you were a boy? I threw sticks at stuff. <laughs> when an entire army was too chicken to face a giant warrior that had come to battle them, David, still being a young, he wasn't quite a man yet, stepped forward, and by God's power, he fought and killed the giant. There was a war song. He became a warrior. There was a war song that was written about him that said, Saul, who was the king, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And this is my personal favorite. I'm sorry if this is but what challenges did you face when winning over your bride, your wife, maybe your girlfriend? What things do you think you'll have to do to win her over? Maybe if you're single, like what... Someday, I'm, I'm ready for this. I'm going to, David, whew, his, his future father-in-law, Saul, the king, I told you about him, he struck down thousands of people. He's like, yes, you can marry my daughter if, go and collect, excuse me, but go and collect a hundred foreskins from the warrior soldiers of the enemies, of the armies. Collect a hundred of them. Bring them back to me, and then you can marry my daughter. He brought back 200. Guys, it's for men. It's, it's a manly thing to do. It's not only a manly thing to do, but it is absolutely a manly, butch, macho thing to do because the warrior who struck down tens of thousands played the harp He's the guy leading us, stirring us in this praise now. So be uncomfortable. Be a little bit embarrassed if the women in this room are outdoing you in praising God because you should be the first, just like David. Maybe some of the 
women need to be be a little bit embarrassed about that too. I'm not, not just men, but absolutely men. Consider who you are in this story, what your place is in, in leading it in the praise. Now, the second point that we see in this chapter is praise while standing in awe. So let's go to verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Let this sober our possibly watered-down view of praise. Um, why is this praise? How can, how can he be talking about justice and righteousness? Seems a little bit hard uh, when when you look at the, at the big picture that he loves justice and righteousness. How can how can this be praise, friends? Enjoying God's faithfulness, upright word, and steadfast love requires us to believe in His righteous judgment and love of justice. Otherwise, we've contained Him, and the extent of His faithfulness and love is now only as far as we can handle. And that is not a very long distance. David believed that singing about the justice that God loves and the righteousness that God is, is part of praise. Then he goes on, he says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, he puts the deeps in storehouses. Now, maybe the first part, David wasn't from South Dakota. Apparently, he was near the ocean. It says, it says uh, he gathers, God gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. So he's talking about maybe the tide or something, the, the ocean. What keeps the ocean together and what keeps it on? You say that's the sun and that's the moon, right? That's science. We get a gold star for science, but you forgot about Verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. God created science and the scientists who, att who attempt to understand it. Now, the second part in, in verse 7, we are intimately aware of, right? He puts the deeps in storehouses. How are we intimately aware of that? Water is deep in store. He puts it in the earth. He collects it in clouds. God controls when it rains, when it droughts when it feeds the crops, when it doesn't. We are intimately aware of that, right? Now, what's the point of this? Why is this praise, considering how awesome and in control and huge God is? God's power is intimately unmistakable. And that's important because it's not about you. It's about God singing about him and just standing in awe of him requires us to believe his power and his might his, the extent to which he's in control such that let all the earth fear the Lord, verse 8 let all the inhabitants of the word stand, world stand in awe of him for he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood Firm. Friends, praise has to be about God. And I know you're thinking, duh, Joe. That's what it is. 
But don't be so easily convinced of that. Think about it for a second. What does this mean? What benefit is there from standing and declaring the infinite majesty and glory and the power of God of the universe? Does this threaten or compromise our weak and vulnerable or unworthy state? It should. Listen to this. Confessing the immeasurable power and authority of God should utterly shatter your confidence in yourself. What do I mean by that? Praise of the Father, praise of the King, praise of God, the Almighty, the God of the universe who created everything, who is in control of everything. It's, it's going to happen like we talked about, whether we want to participate or not, but it's because who are we? Standing in awe of God first begins by seeing how huge he is compared to us, and who are we? So confessing the immeasurable power and authority of God should utterly shatter your confidence in yourself, because this is a confession of the truth. Sit in that discomfort for a little while as we begin to see why this can be good news for us. So he says, starting in verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. And that's tempting to read that and be distracted by hashtag America, right? I was for the first time. I uh, wrote down some notes about this, how we think of He's talking about America here, at least for us, because we live in America. Um, and, and then I was like, nah, that's too harsh. That might be too specific. I don't know if other people would be thinking about that. And then I saw this picture yeah, floating around um, on the interwebs uh, on the 4th of July. And so I thought, oh, okay, this is something that other people have, have thought of too, right? America, blesses the nation of God's Lord, Psalm 33. That's what he's talking about, right? It's not crazy. It's not crazy to think that. Um, if you think about it, if you know a little bit of American history, I'm not a history buff. I had to do a lot of Googling for this. But um, if you think about the way that the United States of America came to be, it was by a lot of people who were pursuing Christianity or, or loved God. If you're not sure of this, look at some quotes from our, our founding father. There's so many of these. I just picked three. John Adams says the great or the general principles of which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. It was because of he's saying their conviction as Christians and their belief in God that the nation of the United States was even formed. Sam Adams says, The name of the Lord, says the scripture, is a strong tower. Thither the righteous flee and are safe. That's Proverbs 18. Let us secure his favor, and he will lead us through the journey of this life and, and at length receive us to a better. Still, Patrick Henry said, Being a Christian is a character which I prize far above all this world has or can boast. 
He later says, the great pillars of all government and of social life are virtue, morality, and religion. This is the armor, my friend, and this alone that renders us invincible. So our founding fathers, the guys who started us as a nation, America, United States, chose God to be a part of that. They were seeking God in that. Since then, right, we've achieved a lot. We've achieved new heights in medical technology. We've introduced the assembly line and the mass production of things like cars. We've put people on the moon. We've invented things like the machine gun, the submarine, the ability to fly, telecommunications advancements, deep-fried Oreos, fast food, Netflix, work environments like Google and Microsoft. We've perfected slavery. We nearly committed genocide. We helped prevent genocide. We created consumerism. We paved the way for things like depression, suicide, bullying, eating disorders. We've commoditized and commercialized people's bodies with things like pornography, prostitution, and sex trafficking. So did they do it wrong, Joe? Is that what you're thinking? Did they just not try hard enough? Were they not Christian enough? Did they not choose God enough? The answer is tricky. It's kind of one of those yes-no answers. Were they not Christian enough? Thomas Jefferson said, I am a Christian in the only sense in which he wished anyone to be, sincerely attached to his doctrines in preference to all others. I am a real Christian. That is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Friends, that is what we would qualify as a Christian, someone who's after Jesus' own heart through his doctrines. So what's the point here? If you read, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and only thing ha think hashtag America, then you will completely miss out on one of the most profound glimpses of the gospel in this song. America is what happens when people choose God. But heaven is what happens when God chooses people. See that? The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. See the blessings we get, we do get, but don't miss the gospel by thinking that's what David is talking about here, right? There's a lot of awesome things that I'm excited about being an American. I like to shoot off fireworks on the 4th of July. But if I think that America is the result of God choosing people, then I've missed out on the good news of the gospel. America is what happens when people choose God. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of bad. Heaven is what he's talking about. His kingdom, whom he has chosen. Verse 10 and 11 and 12 go together, and they crescendo. Don't miss 10 and 11 while trying to rush to 12. So, so 12 is blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, people he's chosen. But don't miss, the Lord brings the council of nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of people. But the council of the Lord stands forever the plans of his heart to all generations. Friends, the, the nation of God, the people whom he has chosen, is going to stand forever. And that's going to frustrate the plans of people. So in, in, in one sense, be frustrated about our nation, the U.S. 
if you if you're looking at or finding your hope and your identity as a U.S. citizen or or someone who lives here and enjoying things, be frustrated. Be grateful to God for our nation and the blessings you have received through it. Thank thank God for the freedom of worship and for food that's readily available and and many other things. But don't miss the promise of God's kingdom by thinking America is it. Let the nation of the U.S. be like many other examples we see in the Bible. Just like Abraham, or uh, just like Adam and Moses and Abraham were examples of, of people who God sent out to, to lead and, and people found leadership qualities in them and, and, and purpose. They were following him and, and, and trying to make it and then they, and they failed. And, and so we, we call these a series of Adams and then we say Jesus is the true and better Adam. So let the U.S. be like many other examples we see in the Bible. Let it utterly disappoint you in the end. See how much we've missed it, to see how much it was meant to be that God is doing. While, while those men represented Christ, they gave people a longing and desperation for, for the true Christ because they missed the mark. Friends, see that our nation, many, many men and women have fought and died for the partial freedom and imitation peace that you experience that will last for hopefully your lifetime on earth. Many men and women have died for that. But there is a man who has fought and died for true peace and eternal freedom that will last forever. And that is the gospel that we get to celebrate this morning. That man's name is Jesus. He fought and, and died for our salvation, our freedom, and our ability to live, um, to find. We, we can praise. We can praise God for that. We're not disparaging every Sunday morning. We're praising him and thanking him for the freedom and the gifts that he has won for us. And so in a few minutes, we're going to remember him. We're going to obey another command that he gave, which is, uh, when you eat and drink, do this in remembrance of me. The the people whom, whom David is talking about as, as God's people, the nation that will, will stand forever, or the Israelites. And when Jesus commanded that, that came from the old tradition that said when they, when they um, were freed from slavery in Egypt and they fled, they didn't have time to put leaven in the bread. And so God said, don't put leaven in your bread. It takes time for that to rise. And so unleavened bread, crackers maybe, tortillas, I don't know, came into existence said because they didn't have time for that. And so do that on a regular basis. They remember that every year, just like we have Christmas or, or Thanksgiving and we remember where we came from. They did that. And so significantly, at the same time, Passover, when Jesus was about to be crucified, he said, do this. In this time, Passover, when you eat unleavened bread and, and drink wine, do this in remembrance of me, because he's talking about the freedom that he was going to bring for all people and open it up beyond Israelites. And so we're going to do that now in a few minutes. In the, in the back, we've got some, some tables with, with bread and juice, and there's going to be some people back there. So when we stand and sing, you'll be free to be dismissed to the back to partake in that, and someone's going to preach the gospel to you. Someone's going to say, this 
blood is the body of Christ that was given for you. And this juice is the blood of Christ that was poured out for you. So you're invited to participate in that. If you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, um, maybe you're not sure where you are in this, I'd invite you just to, to stand and watch and, and maybe wonder about that. Maybe ask someone, what does that mean for you? Why is that significant? Why is this part of your worship? Um, but, but to not necessarily, necessarily participate in that sacrament if, you are, um, if you're not a, a believer. But we get to rejoice in this good news together. We get to respond in worship by remembering how Jesus has won this, secured us, as the people whom he has chosen for his heritage. So let's, let's pray and thank God for that. God, we thank you for the redemption you have won for us. We thank you for saving us and redeeming us. God, we are not much in light of you. We stand in awe of you, and we recognize who you are, what you've done, how powerful you are, and we can't help but think we are little, we are small and undeserving, and yet you have reached down and chosen us. You have chosen us to be your people. You've invited us into the celebration, so we thank you for that. Oh, Lord, if there is anyone in here who maybe doesn't believe that that's true, maybe doesn't see how that could be true for themselves, Lord, would you begin to work in their heart? Would you begin to show them what finding true joy looks like, what finding their satisfaction in you might look like? Would you begin to win over the people of this room, the people of Sioux Falls, for you, so that we can all join in this celebration of praise. Praise to respond to a command and praise while we're standing in awe of you. Praise to thankfully respond to your redeeming work and to praise to complete our joy in you. May you begin to reveal those mysteries to us, how they could be true and how they apply to us. Lord, it's for your glory that we that we praise. It's for your glory that we respond by remembering your rescuing us with communion and taking of the bread and the juice. So will you be honored so much this morning? Will you be glorified above all else? We thank you that this is true. It's in your name that we pray and believe. Amen.